Welcome to Percussion Perspectives, a podcast by Henrik Knabor Larsen and Håkon Steine. Each episode of Percussion Perspectives features one or more musical artists in conversation about musical education, practice and aesthetic and sociological perspectives. In this episode, we spoke to Australian musician and researcher Louise Devanish. Louise is a contemporary percussionist whose creative practice blends performance, collaboration and artistic research. She's commissioned over 50 works for percussion and she develops new works exploring graphic notation, post-instrumental practice and collaborative creativity. And she has performed all over the world with ensembles such as Speak Percussion and Synergy Percussion. She's currently a senior research fellow and percussion coordinator at Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. In 2021, she published her first book called Global Percussion Innovations, The Australian Perspective, which you will find linked in the information section. In our chat, Louise talks about possible career paths for young musicians, about creating new music, about the necessity of developing skills connected to writing curriculums and project presentations and grant applications, about how she emerges a career as a performer, artistic researcher and an educator, how music can lead to change and awareness and contribute to current discourses in society, about the texts of writer Rebecca Solnit, and much more. In the episode, we'll hear excerpts from her solo album Music for Percussion and Electronics, which was released on Tall Poppies in 2018. These pieces were composed by Andrian Pertou and Kate Moore. Louise Devinish. I'm a musician based in Melbourne in Australia. Uh, I work primarily in contemporary percussion music and I run a percussion studio at Monash University in Melbourne. Um, my main role there at the moment is in artistic research around creation of new works uh, and I run a a collective that I describe as a kind of modular studio lab which is a mix of researchers uh, artists of all kinds, so composers, performers, sound artists, spatial designers, visual artists, um, all working together to develop new works, to record them, to perform them, and to talk about them and write about them as well, because that's really interesting to me, I think. So I work primarily in contemporary music now, so anywhere on the spectrum from contemporary classical through to experimental music, I'm quite happy at either end of that spectrum. Um, but I think like most percussionists of my generation, my training was in orchestral music. That's what was on offer in universities at that time. So um, yeah, my training was really in orchestral music, but I had a really uh, wonderful teacher named Tim White who created a fantastic percussion ensemble environment, um, which really got me interested in percussion ensemble music 
working with composers. In that ensemble, we often played the music of living Australian composers who would come and work with us as students. Um, and so that really got me enthusiastic about percussion ensemble and chamber music in particular. Um, and after I finished university, I worked primarily in a percussion ensemble that did some contemporary music, uh, but was really more about um, writing our own music of various styles. Uh, and so I did that for quite some time. And it was 2009, actually, I went to Bang on a Can Summer Music Festival and got really hooked on contemporary music then. And I came back from that and totally changed direction. I um, moved to a different project. I enrolled in postgraduate study and I've been right into to new music since then. So I would describe uh, my early career as a portfolio musician. So um, I'm sure a lot of you would have come across that term before. So portfolio is a kind of fancy way of saying freelancer who says yes to everything, <laughs> um, which I would highly recommend to all students, especially when you, you're first starting out, just say yes to everything because you never know quite where it might take you. Um, and that was really what a lot of my early work looked like. I, I said yes to everything that came through the door, even if I wasn't sure if I could do it. So I did a lot of uh, orchestral casual work. I taught in high schools and the percussion ensemble that I worked with, that was an example of saying yes, not being sure if I could do it. I started playing in that group, um, not knowing actually how to play hand drums and learning on, on the spot really. Um, and I was lucky to have some really generous and supportive and trusting, I guess, colleagues who supported me through that. So I did a lot of different things uh, during that time. Uh, and the more I kind of hung around in the scene, gradually uh, I moved from doing a lot of work in my local city, which at the time was Perth in Western Australia. That's where I grew up. So I was doing a lot of freelancing there. And then over time, as I got to know other people around the country, I started playing with some groups on the East Coast in Sydney and Melbourne, um, occasionally doing casual work with the Malaysian Philharmonic, things like that. And, you know, the longer you hang around and the more you say yes to, you meet more people and, and gradually a few more avenues uh, open up. Um, and so once I started doing that, working with different ensembles, um, particularly more mixed ensembles and things like that, that's when I started thinking about, okay, maybe I can start looking at making some projects of my own, maybe some solo projects and commissioning some composers and collaborating. And so I started doing some of that sort of solo project stuff uh, on and off maybe about 10 years ago. And at first that was really about addressing gaps in my skill set. So doing a project uh, which required me to practice some technique or an instrument that I'd kind of got away with ignoring for a long time. And also to, to try out a little bit of um, composing or arranging in a safe space. You know, if you're, if you're the solo performer, it's, it's just you that you have to answer to. So it was a safe way to, to kind of start doing that. And the other reason I started doing some solo projects uh, was to find out what I sounded like. Um, I'd been, as I mentioned, working lots with ensembles that were directed by other amazing musicians, amazing percussionists. So these are, this is groups like uh, Tetrified Percussion, Speak Percussion, Synergy Percussion. Uh, so I'd been doing a lot of that. And after a while, I, I started to wonder, you know, what, what do I sound like? What would, yeah, how would I describe what I do? Uh, and so starting to commission composers and work on solo projects was a way to start 
addressing that question. And I say addressing, not answering, because I still don't know what the answer to that is as far as what I sound like. I'll still be trying to work that one out, I think. So as far as making my own projects goes, that's something that's grown and changed over time. At the beginning, I didn't really know what I was doing, to be perfectly honest. I'd reach out to composers that I really admired. I really liked their music. Uh, and asked if maybe they'd be interested in writing a work for me. The first solo project I did, I feel a bit funny even talking about it, I was so green, but I did it. It was a a marimba project of all things, solo marimba works. And part of that project, uh, I had to apply for some funding in order to get it off the ground. And I pitched to commission four new works, but also that I would write a solo marimba work as well, which I had never done before. And so the idea was that I'd be testing out this new skill, but I'd be doing it in the context of working with four other composers who knew what they were doing and could tell me what was up as I went along. And so that was a really good thing to do. Um, And after that project, I kind of realized, oh, actually, I don't think it's marimba stuff that I want to do all the time, but I'm really glad that I've done this project. And now I know that. And then I started moving in some other directions. And Mostly now and over the last probably five years when I'm um, starting a new project, I think I've learned over time that it, it's not something you can hurry and that's okay. Uh, at first I'd get a little bit, I guess, worried if I had this idea and I couldn't make it happen straight away. But now I realise actually if it takes two years to go from idea to performance, that's quite normal and no worries. <laughs> Um, so that, that helps. And often now the composers that I work with are people that I have either worked with in another context before. So maybe we first worked together in the context of a small ensemble where they wrote a really great percussion part for another group I play in Decibel New Music, which is a sextet, an electroacoustic sextet. So I might reach out to a composer uh, who wrote really great material for percussion, or perhaps they did something really interesting with the electronics that I thought maybe could uh, work well with some other percussion instruments. And so we had a a bit of a relationship and um, by working in that ensemble context, you get to know the composer a bit as a person, if you will work well together, uh, and then moving on to doing something more um, more direct. And that's been a really enjoyable process. And just recently, I'm starting to um, move on to the second or third collaborations with some of these composers. But up until very recently, the last couple of years, it's mostly been the first time reaching out on the solo side of things. So yeah, the the logistics, the reality of how do you go about doing these projects, there are lots of lots of moving parts. And I think of every project as this jigsaw puzzle of collaborators and sources of funding and facilities and resources. So uh, the context in Australia is uh, there's a, there are government funding organisations for the arts, uh, national and state and city-based that you can apply for, all with different requirements and restrictions. Um, For established ensembles and larger ensembles, there's uh, also the opportunity of some philanthropic trusts and things to apply for, but for people starting out doing their first projects, usually turning to these government funding bodies is is a, a starting place. Yeah, so I find the process of having to write down my ideas and explain them to an unknown somebody else really helpful for clarifying whether or not the idea is strong and whether or not the idea has got gaps in it that need to be addressed. So being able to write about your artistic practice 
and what you want to do with it, I think is a really, really valuable skill. And that's partly why I really enjoy marrying research and performance together. I think um, some of the writing skills that you learn doing an honours course or a postgraduate course are so useful um, when it comes to learning how to write about your creative ideas in a very clear way for panels of people that you don't know or who might not be musicians or might know much about percussion specifically. So um, that process of writing the application is really helpful for crystallising those ideas. Um, it's also really helpful for assisting with the planning. So long before you get the funding, you need to know how much is it going to cost. Um, are you going to be getting some of these um, costs covered by in-kind or donated support? Can you use facilities or resources from organisations or institutions that you're affiliated with or do you need to find it all from somewhere else? Um, or thinking through all of those things I think is really um, a good thing to do and then if you're lucky enough to get the grant, it's mostly organised. <laughs> a, a lot of that groundwork is done. As far as um, what to, to write down, um, a big question that I always ask, I mean, that who, what, when, where, why, <laughs> how, those questions are really, really important. And a big one that I think the people who read proposals, whether that's for funding or for pitching a project to a festival and just trying to get a gig, people don't just want to know what it is that you're going to do. They want to know why they should care. <laughs> And who is going to come and listen to it? And actually, I was writing a proposal today where one of the questions they said, we want one sentence, tell us why an audience member might buy a ticket to your project. That's a really hard question to answer. One sentence, a new work that hasn't been made yet, don't know what the instrumentation is, I know how long it is, I know who's involved. Um, but yeah, you've got to, got to think about some of those things. So having some of those uh, one-liners up your sleeve might be good if you're um, planning to build a little portfolio of how-tos. In the time that I've been writing grants, so which would be 15 years worth of writing grants, um, I think early on, and when I started assessing grants as well, it was possible to uh, read an application that maybe wasn't so well written but the artistic idea was really amazing and it would still get funded. I think now as government funding sources have become smaller, the pools of funding have been, become smaller, it's not enough to just have the great idea, you have to be able to write the great idea down as well, it's definitely much tighter. Um, so I would agree with you about that. Um, but I also think that uh, like university training has grown alongside that. Teaching people to, to write is a really important skill. And I've also noticed that there is support for that. So a lot of um, government organisations will have project offices that you can talk to about your application. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed of the funding, but they can tell you if you've missed out something really important. And something I learned very early on from a project officer was in applying for projects to talk about why now as well. So often uh, funding bodies will want to know not just if your project's good and if you're going to do a good job or anything like that, but they kind of think of it from a more of a... The question is, you know, why should they make an investment in you at this time? So talking about um, how a particular project might give you a particular opportunity at this point in your career... 
that became something that I thought about a lot and I, I often include that in there. And it, might, it may be that you're doing something for the first time uh, and so that's, it's very timely for that or it might be that you're building on a previous opportunity or a current opportunity. And um, you mentioned that over time you've noticed that funding bodies also want to know more about the benefits not just for the artist but for the audiences and the community. You know, So if this is taxpayers' money... If taxpayers are investing in you, what are the taxpayers going to get get back? And so I actually think it's a really good thing that those considerations of who's the music for and how are people going to engage with it, I think it's good those questions are being asked. Um, yeah, that's part of what we do, isn't it? Uh, it's been like that for my whole time of applying for grants. So I, as I said, I've only been doing it 15 years, but from the very beginning, it's always been open to all genres and all skill levels and levels of experience. Um, there's always been here a very strong support for regional um, artists to be funded as well. Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's always been open for everyone. Yeah. But I would like to ask you, uh, from a kind of educational standpoint, how well is this being taught in the academies when you're a, when you're a student? This ability to uh, professionalize your, your 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 application skills, basically. Yeah, that's a great a great question. It's it's gradually getting better. So when I was a student in the early 2000s, it was not possible to do units in arts administration or grant writing or anything as a music student. Um, but I did find a loophole in that it was offered to acting students. Uh, there was an arts administration unit at a neighbouring university for acting students because acting students needed agents and they needed to know about all this kind of stuff but just because of how their industry worked in Australia at that time. So I can't I can't remember how I wrangled it, but somehow I ended up taking this class at the other university with a bunch of actors. And in that class, one of our assignments was write a grant application. So that was my first taste of it. Um, and so that meant when I started teaching in universities um, about 15 years ago, uh, I was very aware of what my students were enrolling in, what they could and couldn't do. So at first... For, for me, back then, I would just do it one-to-one -one with students, encourage them to apply for funding and make up their own projects before they finished their final year, so in their final year to start thinking about that kind of stuff, and just mentor them a little bit myself, um, which was possible when I had only a handful of students. <laughs> um, but in recent years, some Australian universities have started to include more formal training, and at Monash University, where I am at the moment, one of our core units is music business. And in this unit, writing grant applications is equally a part of, of your course. So, um, But not just grant applications, it's learning how to write an artist's CV and how that's different from an academic CV. Uh, what does a good biography look like? How far back should you go? Do we care you started piano age five? Not really. You know, which bits do you put in? Um, is it okay to name drop every person you've ever played with in a bio? No, but why not? You know, where's the line? All that kind of stuff. Um, but also in that unit, there's discussions about budgets and you know, the realities of putting on, on these projects. And I think that's excellent. I, I'm really glad that uh, those kinds of units are being offered now because it seems to me that 
that practical stuff, you really want to know how to do it before you need to do it yourself. There is a kind of language skill needed to go through that the application process. There is a certain way of doing it, a technical side, which uh, if you never heard of that, then you spend the first three years of your career trying to fight your way through that. It's it's a, it's hard. And so it, it can only be for the better that these things are being taught, I, I feel. Well, yeah, although there's sometimes, sometimes that's good too. I think sometimes being thrown in the deep end and not knowing in some ways can be good. If you don't know you're doing it wrong, then you don't feel bad about it and you learn something along the way. So there's something to be said for that as well and, and doing things even if you haven't been formally mentored in it. And that's something I definitely encourage to my students to do. Like if you if you don't know how to do it, well, try it. <laughs> you know, that's just, just get in there and give it a go. Uh, in days gone by, there were conservatoriums separate from universities here. Um, and that's kind of a, a luxurious, amazing thing where you do just work on your chops and you play all the time and it's amazing. Um, but over over time, the conservatoriums in Australia have been, all of them, I think, absorbed into universities. And so tertiary music training, even in performance, happens in a university context. So actually writing um, and discussing and presenting is is there from first year. It's a really key, key component from the beginning now, which... Um, I think I think it has positive uh, and maybe not so positive things about it. But. Yeah, well, I suppose with the, the arts funding side of things, I mean, we've talked about it for a long time, but I, it's not like I get all the things that I apply for. So I have a kind of scattering approach and will apply to any funding deadline that I think might be, <laughs> be helpful, um, small or, or large. Um, it's often quite different projects for, for different funding sources. So... Um, it really depends if it's a grant that's specific to recording or a grant that's specific to research or specific to a particular con- concert series. So um, over time, I think I've started trying to see how the idea I have might fit into that, how I can tailor it to happen in that context, because I'm yet to come across the perfect grant that is exactly what I want to do. <laughs> I don't know if there's any such thing. There's always something you need to um, address. And that can be kind of a fun part of the creative process as well. Thinking, okay, well, there's this other way of thinking about making this work that needs to be addressed. How can I do that and still feel excited about the project? So that's that's something that happens. Right. And the question is, uh, there is no funding, there is no festival gig. Do you still do it? Do you finance it? privately or you call your mom or i mean what, what do we do this is an interesting question do the, the the projects that never that seem kind of hard to finance for some reason or they don't get gigs um do we still do them out of sheer love or um you know how do we deal with that that's that's a really good question you know if we don't have um the funding we apply for do we do it for nothing anyway um i've never been in a financial position to be able to do that to be perfectly honest i've never um yeah since i've been making my own projects everything's had to break even because there was no other way to do it. So, um, yeah, if you're in the position to be able to just do it anyway or self-fund things, I mean, power to you. I think that's amazing. But, um, yeah, I guess not everyone can can do that. Um, So for me, there's been a reality of, well, I've got to get the money from somewhere. And I kind of think of projects, I mean, in any line of work, right, you're never going to have a straight line from where you are now to where you want to be going and what you want to do. But I kind of think of it as like a trickle of water going down a hill. So you're going to hit a rock, but you can go around it. And you might hit another rock, but you can go around that too. And if you just think of it as this, you're coming downhill and the project's going to happen and you don't know which 
at which point down that hill there's going to be a pool that you can rest in just try something else um and it's i think i'm okay with applying for something not getting it having to rethink and apply for something else again mainly because i know it happens to everybody and rejections are just that's just part of it it's what happens and in some sometimes it can be really depressing but sometimes it can be quite helpful because if you don't get it then you've had more time to think about it but you can also think a little bit about why and and try again so writing these things it's like practice you've got to it's it's never perfect the first the first time How I ended up being a researcher, it, it wasn't by design, I'll say that much, it, but it, I guess it wasn't totally an accident either. Um, like a lot of people, I think um, it's, an avenue, it's an avenue to make work within. And so that's, you know, however, however you need to, to make it happen <laughs> is um, worth considering. So the research thing for me, I mean, when I went back into postgraduate study, at the time when I enrolled in that, it was really all about playing. There was repertoire I wanted to learn and pieces that I wanted to uh, perform but also I wanted to know how to teach to my students further down the track you know if I haven't played on it and worked on it how would I know what to advise a student on and I also had a few technical things that I wanted to do so that's what took me into the course Uh, and the course that I did had equal parts performance and writing so writing was just it had to be part of it and that's that was the deal and at first I was a little bit unsure about that because I didn't have a great topic but once I'd hit on a topic that I felt was interesting I could spend time on and there was a point to doing it you know it was maybe addressing a bit of a gap 
then I got really into it and I really enjoyed it. And once I'd finished that um, course, that program, um, there were other employment opportunities open to me. And it was after that that I started full-time uh, working in a university and my, my job had a research component. So that was uh, 2016 was when I started full-time, like properly <laughs> teaching in a university. And um, yeah, doing research was part of the role and I find that really interesting. So I'm quite happy to write journal articles and give conference presentations that are um, connected with my performance, which is how, how I think about, I think I'm going in circles a little bit here, but I think of artistic research as being like two sides of the same coin. So I will make one project that will have many outputs and some of them might be creative. And so for me, that's performance outputs and some might be written. And in the Australian context, this is thought of as um, non-traditional and traditional research output. So traditional basically means it's written down, right? Anything that's not written down becomes non, non-traditional and that can be a recording or a performance or whatever. So once I'd kind of got my head around that thinking, okay, well, if I can come up with a project and then have all of these different outputs, then I don't have to think about research and performance as being separate things. Actually, they're one thing and that's really, that's really enjoyable for me. Um, and so the uh, position that I have at Monash Uni at the moment um, almost halfway through a three-year artistic research fellowship and um, this is funded by the Australian Research Council so a a good big grant because it's three years worth of worth of time and that's um, you know that was a pool of funding to make new works that's only available to me because I went down this research path and yeah so that's what I'm doing at the moment (laughs) doing at the moment working on this project kind of inspired by you actually because um it's focused on post-instrumental practice which is a term that I think first appeared in your DMA thesis back in 2015. Making work in a university context and in this artistic research context it's definitely changed how I think about the projects that I make so um my artistic research project is not just about you know, putting on a concert of music that I really want to play. That's, that's not research. That's a nice time. And I still do that. Uh, but that's a different thing. So the good thing about um, making works in this artistic research context is that it encourages me to think a lot more broadly. So it's not just about performing some percussion music. It becomes connected to so much more um, than, than just, just the repertoire. It becomes about uh, how the works are contributing to the evolution of Western art music, how Western art music is relevant to our current context, our time and place. You know, how is making Western art music as a percussionist in an Australian context? What does that say about Australian culture? And how do these these musics that we make, how do they reflect this point in history? And, you know, one of the most common uh, themes appearing in a lot of new works these days is obviously things connected with climate. And so making new works that reflect on that and being able to make uh, our creative work contribute to these big conversations, national conversations, global conversations, um, that's a result of working in this artistic context, artistic research context, I should say. Um, And I really enjoy that. I I like the fact that, um, I mean, forced is a strong word, but I like that I'm encouraged to think about how the music that I'm making by myself in my room, how that might actually contribute to to something a little bit bigger. Great. Can you elaborate on how 
art can have this political, if not impact, but can comment on these global issues, if you don't mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go. Sorry. So, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I think um, if I can respond to your question by talking about music rather than art or sound, rather than art, all art forms, I think there's something really special about the way that sound and music can enable us to engage with or reflect on or comment on issues in different ways than if we'd read about it or talked about it um, and vice versa. I mean, um, words are really useful for talking about issues, but words don't cover everything and there are things that's, that words can't uh, describe or explain with total accuracy and I, I read a wonderful book by Rebecca Solnit last year it just came out last year and she, she talked about words in this book and about how words could sometimes facilitate discussion and help make meaning clear but how words can also sometimes um, limit things a little bit and she talked she used the metaphor of a sunset and the changing colors of a sunset and how there are colors that you see in a sunset for which there's never going to be a name for and I think the same is true with sound. There are sounds that we can never describe. Um, that's, that's why they're so special. So I think that's something really important about music and making new music and sound work is that it allows um, connection with material in an, a special way, in a unique way. And it's important to do that in your time, in future times, in previous times, because the way we hear these sounds, the way we create them and what they mean, that changes over time as well. So I think what we're trying to do in the courses that um, we run at Monash, but also at the institution that I worked at previously in the University of Western Australia, is um, what we're aiming to do is not just train students or assist students to learn their craft, um, but also to become aware of how this can be applied to work. What are the types of job that you can have with arts training or music training? Um, but also how can you transfer the skills that you learn as a music student to different types of employment. Um, and I think that awareness thing, that's actually a really big part of it. Knowing what the avenues are for you as a career beyond graduation is, is really big. So I always ask my students and prospective students when they're auditioning, you know, what do you, what do you want to do with this degree? What do you want to do as a job after this? And Almost always, the well, one of the most common responses, which I think is actually starting to change, but for the last you know 15 years, it's been I want to be an orchestral musician. And I wonder if maybe we say that because we know what it is and we know it's a job, but we don't know what the other other avenues are out there. So I think it's really important, you know, over the course of a, an undergraduate degree in particular, for students to be presented with many different types of professional musician, whether that's a performer, whether it's a music journalist, whether it's a radio broadcaster, a producer, you know, what are all of these different types of job? 
but also to be presented with many different models of the portfolio career. And actually there was an amazing study that came out of Queensland, I think it was just last year, on portfolio musicianship and what that what that looked like in Australia. So they had, I think it was about, I mean, they did studies with a lot of different people, but there were, I think, about a dozen case studies of early mid-career established musicians and what their job looked like um, and how they uh, bring in a mix of freelance or casual employment, if they have some steady income and what that is, how people work out how much of each is right for them. Um, and everybody has a different approach to that. I know for me, um, when I finished my undergrad, I, um, I started doing some teaching in high schools as my ongoing regular work to kind of just know that there was always going to be something there. Um, and it took me a little while to work out, oh, I can do two days a week and be really happy and have enough energy to do my, my other projects, but also have enough energy to be with my students when I need to be with my students. When I went to three days a week, the year that I got married and had to buy a house and needed a bit more money. I've, that, was, that was really hard. Um, and I did that for a short time because I needed to get that. I had some stuff I had to pay for. I did that. But I learned also that um, doing, doing that, wasn't, it didn't work out so well for me. I didn't have enough energy for everything I wanted to do. And, and that was good to, to learn that lesson. But other, other people have different. They might have four days working um, in arts administration for a major performing arts venue and that might be perfect and then they might spend the rest of their time doing projects. Everyone's got a slightly different way of doing it and I think for students to learn all about all these different ways and that they're all good and whatever you choose to do is fantastic is, is fine. Actually one of my very close friends, her um, regular income more, more recently is in nursing and midwifery. So she does that part-time and performs with orchestras the rest of the time and for her that's a perfect perfect balance yeah. that entrepreneurship and finding a gap for you um i think that's something that's really encouraged um i've seen that yeah encouraged by a lot of uh, different colleagues and mentors and, and things and um i think that's a that's a really positive thing something that i often advise my students you know and they you know they, they might listen or they might not depends on whether it suits them but um, especially at the beginning, uh, because no one gets their dream job right on graduation. It doesn't matter what field you're in, music or what, something else. You, it, it doesn't happen straight away, and nor would you want it to, because you've got to have something to look forward to. Um, but in deciding what kind of work to take and what kind of work to leave, I, I would always ask, well, can this work, do I feel like that's helping me grow as a musician or as a person or in another way? Like, you know, how, how do all of these things fit together and how do, how do they complement one another? <laughs>